You are listening to Feast Radio, bringing God's love and grace on air. Listen to significant and heartfelt messages you can reflect on and pray about. May this message help prepare you to face challenges, follow your dreams, and open yourself up to God's unlimited blessings. May I ask you to stand? It's time that we give our message and let's pray our favorite prayer in the feast. Here in our family, we celebrate relationships. It's all about relationships and we're thankful for the leadership, the relationship, the friendship that we have. And you are part of this family. Let's have that culture of honor and love. Be be excellent in loving one another. Amen. Let's pray in the name of the Father, of the Son, of the Holy Spirit. Extend your hands out wide. Declare this prayer. Today, I receive all of God's love for me. Today, I open myself to the unbounded, limitless, overflowing abundance of God's universe. Today, I open myself to God's blessings, healing, and miracles. Today, I open myself to God's word so I would become more like Jesus every day. Proclaim it. Today, I proclaim that I am God's beloved. I am God's servant. I am God's powerful champion. And because I am blessed, I am blessing the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Keep it up. Sing. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Put your hands to your hearts and just have this moment with the Lord. Father God, we are opening up our minds, our hearts, our lives for your word. Plant as you please. And we're ready for you. And may we focus on you in this time. And it's all about you. We eagerly wait and listen for your word and message for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Give the Lord a big, big hand. And to preach the first part of the word, a big hand again to our birthday boy, Brother Bo Sanchez. Amen. Woo. Give a big hand to Dito Ilabaton. Thank you, Doc. Can you be seated, everybody? Touch somebody beside you. Tell that person God will speak to you today. The word that I want to share with you today are three words, three powerful words. Everybody say, I'm ready. ready. Your God weeps. Can you say that with me? Look at someone beside you. Tell that person, your God weeps. Three words. Three words that I hope will be a dagger that will pierce through subconscious pictures of God in your mind. Maybe not everybody, but some of you, you have embedded in your subconscious images of a God that is aloof, that is sitting on a throne in the distance, maybe with a permanent skull on his face, a displeasure, a repulsion, He is someone who is displeased. And yet here we have three words that 
We've dug from a story in Genesis, a story that we all know. How many of you have heard of, know of, read about, listened to the story of Noah's Ark? Raise your hand. Thank you. Most of you. Everybody say that again. My God weeps. Let me begin with a story. 2007, I met a man that would change my life forever. He is today my financial mentor. His name, Edward Lee. One of, not, of the most, if not the best, stock market trader, investor this country has ever known. A very, very successful business owner. He called me up, asked if we could have lunch. What shocked me, by the way, he changed my financial life, but what surprised me was in our first lunch, I learned something very important about parenting. When we began, we were eating in this really expensive restaurant. He was paying. And then he began by saying, Brother Bo, I was born in a not rich family. My mother is a school teacher. My father, he's a door-to-door -door salesman. And that's why I believe that every Filipino can be rich. And so he began with that statement, and I loved it. I really did. And then he said, by the way, I was a very bad student. Are there bad students here? He said, I was failing in school all my life. And <laughs> he said, do you know, Brother Bo, that I was so bad in school, I never finished college. I got kicked out. At that moment, a waiter comes along while we were eating. And I figured, you know, this was an expensive restaurant. I figured he, this waiter, had a college degree. And here in front of me, was someone who did not and was a billionaire. And so I was curious and I, and I wanted to know, how did that happen? And he went on by saying, you know, I was such a bad student, Brother Bo, that when I, I was, I was in grade school, I was this overweight kid, always sweating. Every day at class, I would sit at the back to sleep. And then there would be two doors in the classroom, one at the back. And my mother being the teacher in that same school, every day she would go up to the back, through the back door, go to me, see me sleeping, pull me out. And then because I was, you know, soaking wet with sweat, she would wipe the sweat off my back. And she would put powder. And then she'd send me back to the classroom and I would sleep again. 
And I was wondering, like, how would his parents react to him? <laughs> and so I said, you really gave a difficult time to your parents. And he said, I gave them hell. It's like I was lazy. I didn't like to go to school. I, I, just, I just didn't. And I was failing in most of my subjects. And so I said, did they get angry at you? Did they scold you? Did they shout at you? And his answer stunned me. He said, my mother cried. My mother never shouted, never screamed, never scolded. I just saw her tears. And she would tell me, anak, hindi ka bobo. Anak, magaling ka. Anak, mahal kita. You know, just, just, just that. And he said, it would happen so often that when my report card comes and it's, and it's filled with red and all the failing marks, you know, my mother would just sit down in front of me and start crying and start saying, Anak, hindi ka bobo. Anak, magaling ka. <laughs> you know, and, he, and, and, and the mother would say, I believe in you. The father will do the same thing over and over again. And then my mentor told me, Bo, I am who I am because of the unconditional love of my parents. This was the one ingredient that made me successful in life. Wow. As you listen to my story today, you might be saying to yourself, Brother Bo, hindi ganyan ang magulang ko. Total opposite. They were the ones who told me, stupid! They were the ones who told me, bobo! They were the ones who told me, walang kwenta ang buhay mo. I know. Father Paolo was talking about that a while ago. We live in a broken, wounded, wounding world. And yet, I am here to tell you the news that there is a God who weeps for you. There is a God who believes in you that when you fail, He weeps. Today, we, we will be talking about Noah's Ark. But before we do, just to pick up from where we came from, Cain kills Abel. Cain is banished the way Adam and Eve are banished from Eden. And then what happens, according to the Bible, is that Cain founds a city, builds a city. Now, I want you to know that when Cain builds a city, the Bible also says that there was human progress. Can everybody say human progress? For example, for the first time, they were able to raise livestock, no longer as hunters and gatherers. They were able to play musical instruments. They were able to live in tents. They were able to have tools no longer made of stone and wood, but now iron and brass. So I want you to know these are giant leaps of technology during that time. As big as the invention of a car or the invention of the internet or the invention of mobile phones or the invention of toilet paper, you know? You didn't get the joke, never mind. 
And so what happened was, there was so much human progress, but the book of Genesis says, there was also the progress of evil and corruption. So much evil, so much corruption, to the point that, to the point that, you know, there was this, there was, there was this guy, a descendant of Cain, his name was Lamech, and he was someone who would sing poems about murder, celebrating murder, saying that he would kill without remorse. He would be proud to say, I am worse than my ancestor Cain. And so let's read Genesis chapter 6 verse 5 where it talks about so much evil in the world. The Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on earth, and He saw that everything they thought of or imagined was consistently and totally evil. Meaning to say, before there was a flood of water, there was a flood of evil in the world. Are you getting it? Now. The problem, I think, with Noah, when you think about Noah and Noah's Ark, is the same problem that people have with Jonah. Are you, are you, do you remember that before Genesis, we talked about Jonah? And we were saying that people saw the story of Jonah as a children's story. I mean, you know, there's this big fish, and then he, he was swallowed by a fish. It's, it's like a children's story. And so when we explain in the, in the talk series on Jonah that no, it's not. It is more complex and profound. It's also the same thing with the story of Noah's Ark. Noah's Ark seems like a cartoon. I mean, think about it. A boatload of animals, floating zoo. But I've got an announcement to make. Noah's Ark was written for adults, not for children. And it has a very serious message. Like what? One of the major messages of Noah's Ark is that sin is not a private affair. Can everybody say that? Because sin affects everyone. Everybody say sin affects everyone through consequence and influence. What do I mean by consequence? Let me make it graphic. Let's say Brutus steals the ATM card of Popeye, figures out the pin, and then withdraws 200,000 of the hard-earned money of Popeye, goes to Timbuktu, splurges, and lives like a king for a few days. The police catches up, catches Brutus, puts him in jail. Question, who did the crime? Brutus. Is he suffering consequences because of the wrongdoing? Yes. Question, is he the only one suffering? No. Popeye, who earned 200,000, all of a sudden has no money. Is he the only one suffering? Popeye. No. Wimpy also because Popeye cannot treat him with hamburgers. 
olive oil also because Papa I cannot give him flower her flowers because the 200,000 is gone so that's what you call consequence there are consequences to a wrongdoing it only it does not only make you suffer because of your sin it makes other people suffer because of your sin and then there's the whole idea of influence everybody say influence where for example Bluto the brother of Brutus get, gets encouraged and inspired by his brother's misdeed and and follows suit my dear friends when you live in a culture a bad culture do you know what happens bad becomes the norm when there are enough people doing bad stuff people will say that's normal and guess what I think that's the way we should live our lives so this is what you call influence sin is serious this is the message of Noah's Ark sin destroys lives are you getting it so let's read it again let's let's read that verse that we just read a while ago but this time we ask the question how does God respond to the evil around everybody say I'm ready let's read together Genesis 6 verse 5 to 6 together one two three go the Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth and he saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil so the Lord was sorry he had ever made them and put them on the earth it broke his heart everybody say that it broke his heart why did it break his heart because the people who were supposed to be carriers of blessing have become carriers of curse and when you think about that God's reaction to evil was not anger but sorrow now that is surprising ask me why because when you think about Noah's Ark <laughs> it's it's almost like ah God got angry and ta-da flood destroy the earth God is a God with a stick God is a God with a whip and he becomes incredible Hulk he just can't take it anymore there is so much evil in the world and he he just rawr, bang bang it's not in the Bible it's not in Genesis God responds not in anger but his heart is broken in other words I'm reminded of my mentor and his story when he told me about how his parents responded to his wrongdoing and his parents would just cry and say Edward you're better than this you're better than this no screaming no shouting his whole life growing up just parents who would have a broken heart and who would weep he was changed not by the anger not by the annoyance not by the irritation 
of his parents. He was changed by their tears. And my dear friends, that is what will change your life. Because God, He weeps for you. Didoy, take over. Thank you, Brother Bo. Awesome. God weeps for you. Wow. How many here first time heard that God weeps for them? Imagine. I couldn't even imagine. But He does. And uh, I'd like to continue. Noah's Ark. Beautiful, happy story with the animals. But that's what we do here in the feast. We try to dig deep and understand what does it mean and how everything is all connected. And so this Noah's Ark story is not the only great flood story in the cultures of the world. There were many. And one example is uh, the Epic of Atrahasis. In the ancient culture, there were, there were many origin stories. So it tells of a hero, just to give an example and relate it later. An example, it, it, it is a, tells of a hero in this epic that uh, uh, who was saved. This is a hero who was saved from a flood by building a boat. Okay, it sounds similar. But in this story, it was one of their gods who wiped out humanity because with the flood. Not because people were bad, but because people got too many and too noisy. <laughs> it sounds like one of the gods got annoyed through a tantrum and I'll just wipe everything and restart again or whatsoever. That's not our God. That's not who He is. The ancient cultures are many. And the authors of the Genesis story knew the readers were familiar with this. And uh, the different flood legends. And Noah's story is telling us that Yahweh, God, is different from all the other gods in that ancient culture. God doesn't destroy just because He wants to. We destroyed ourselves. <laughs> he, it's not because God is wrathful and He's in a bad mood. Yeah, Noah's story was people got so bad that we are beyond, you know, we turned it upside down. And, you know, when, when in the Noah's story, when God sees His children destroy each other and, and, and themselves, he doesn't just go out in the rampage and just kill everybody and just bala kayo dyan. Hindi ganun si Lord. The fact, the fact that there is, there is a number into it. Do you remember how, how many days? You don't remember? 40. It means that we have a calculating God. He, he has a calculated move on, on how we do this. So, let me answer this question. Some people would think, God is so cruel. Is God really cruel? Because they go to different verses. So let me go to Genesis 6, verse uh, uh, 7. And it says, And the Lord said, if you can read it with me, I will wipe this human race I have created from the face of the earth. Yes, and I will destroy every living thing. All the people, the large animals, the small animals that move along the ground, 
and even the birds of the sky. I am sorry I ever made them, but Noah found, uh, and I, and some people would think that this line, this verse, is all that it takes to say that God is a mass murderer, and He is a very cruel God. Wait, 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 wait. That's why we're teaching it here in the feast. How could a, how could a loving God become that cruel? Well, He's not. And you gotta understand ancient stories, ancient culture, ancient context. Do not just do this out of context. So the, we have two answers for that question. Is God cruel? Reading from this, you gotta, number one, stop reading this story with modern eyes. Because this was written in ancient culture. These are ancient texts. So we cannot apply our modern understanding in the ancient culture and ancient texts. Secondly, stop reading it literally. Okay? Stop reading it literally. We ne we, the, the, the authors never meant this to be read literally. And again, ancient culture, ancient authors, ancient categories, ancient context. And, and it must be read from, from an ancient perspective. Everybody say perspective. One example. Modern people don't like the word judgment. Yes? If someone passes a judgment or if you felt that you are judged, it's usually in the negative context. Correct? Judger ka. Oy, na-judge ako dun. But you got to understand, in the ancient culture, you know, to us, it's negative, it's punitive, unfair, and cruel. But in the ancient culture, judgment is actually good because they believe that the judge is good. You get that? So that is a context that we need to understand. They saw God's judgment as very good because the judge is very good. I hope you're getting it. Say, I get it. So let's continue reading from uh, chapter 6, verse 8 to 9. But Noah found favor with the Lord. Are you there? And this is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, the only blameless person living on earth at the time, and he walked in close fellowship with God. Everybody say righteous. I want you to pin that thought of Noah being one of the righteous ones because that means a lot after, uh, as we go to the other chapters. And after, you know, let me push on the story. After Noah goes into the ark with the animals, you remember, two by two, how does it happen? It's not meant to be taken literally, okay? Imagine how many animals, you know, if you're a zoologist, can that fit a whole ark? It's not meant to be taken literally. I thought so too. <laughs> I actually thought it was a huge, 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 huge boat containing all the animals, but it's not taken literally. You've got to understand that. And so uh, it's, it started in chapter 7. Let's flash it. When Noah was 600 years old, wow, 600, on the 17th day of the second month, all the underground waters erupted. This is crucial, huh? Look, look, look how the flood started. All the underground waters erupted from the earth, 
And the rain fell in mighty torrents from the sky. The rain continued to fall for 40 days and 40 nights. There is rain. Yes. But do you know that there's another one? Another source of the water. Where is that? Underground. Anybody here who saw and just heard this and realized that there is not just rain, but there are waters from the underground. First time? Can you raise your hand? Yeah? Ooh. It, oh, wow. That's why I love studying this in the feast and love that we're, we, we get to talk to this. The, the Genesis author described it that way. It's a very weird, weird way. But yeah, there were waters below and there were waters above. And the waters from above and below met and crashed and wiped everything. Do you remember when we discussed that two weeks ago, if you were here? It is a strange thing, but the authors were hyperlinking it, recalling it to the creation story. What day was that? I think on the, it was a day when on chapter 1 verse 6, it says, Let there be a space between the waters to separate the waters of the heavens from the waters of the earth. You know what's happening in the Noah's Ark story? In the creation, the separation of the waters above and below. In Noah's Ark story, the great flood happened because it's a decreation story. Remember that before God created anything, there was already something. And what was that? The chaotic waters. Chaos was already there. So when God created the world, He brought order into chaos. Everybody say order. But when people rebelled, people didn't like that order. Chaos happened. Chaos came rushing back. Some people believe that when we sin, God comes with a big stick and say, mm, palo. Mm, mm. That's not what we're trying to say. It's not the picture from Genesis. When we sin, God steps back and allow chaos to return. You didn't like my design. You are going out of the design. And then the chaos returns. When we go back to the title of our series, you got to remember, God gives us a choice between a curse and a blessing. God allows us to choose between order and chaos. And this is the absolute scary truth. What do you want? What do you choose? Order or chaos? The choice will prevail. Reflect on that. What are the fruits of your life now? Order or chaos? Happiness or sadness? Hope or desperation? What choices have you been making? Reflect on that. C.S. Lewis said it so well. This is something that you can pick up. There are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, Thy will be done. And those whom God says in the end, Thy will be done. 
I remember when I was in high school, I failed miserably. Technology and home economics. 74, palakol. First ever and the last ever palakol in my grades. And that was the grade system, grading time, that I did not pass two out of three projects. <laughs> and I still got 74. It should have been zero or one. And I did not do my job, or I did not study. I did not pass the projects. I was what? I was what? I wasn't... I was playing PlayStation. I was playing with friends. And that's why I got that grade. And it hurt my mom. And that is a natural consequence of not studying. Some people, as a doctor, they tell me, why am I sick? Is God punishing me? And sometimes my role is just tell them that is a natural consequence of you not taking care of yourself of dishonoring your body. So, can you choose better now? Some people come to me, why am I feeling so depressed? Sometimes it's also because of a natural consequence of our decisions or even indecisions. We did not, we, there is some toxicity or deficiency that we cost ourselves. Of course, there are things that we did not cause, but ultimately our lives is greatly influences, influenced by our choices. Are we choosing order or are we choosing chaos? Yeah. In conclusion to this Noah's story, we see that there is a rainbow, a promise of God. But actually, if you dig deep, the conclusion it's different. It was nice, yes, but there's something that we'd like to discuss here. After the floodwaters receded, Noah steps off the boat, and Noah offers a sacrifice, and God promises that he won't curse the ground again. And he tells Noah and his family to be fruitful and multiply, to become the new carriers of his blessing to the world. When was the last time that there was a sacrifice in the Genesis story? It was during Cain and Abel. And during Cain's time and Abel's time, God did not accept Cain's sacrifice. But here we see God accepted the sacrifice, just like Abel's. Ooh, that's so cool. That's really nice. But what happens next, in further into the text, is very disappointing. And many preachers wouldn't preach this part of the story because it's so disturbing. So let me read it to you. After the flood, Noah began to cultivate the ground. He planted a vineyard. Vineyard means there's fruit. One day, he drank some wine he had made, and he became drunk and lay naked inside his tent. Ham, the father of Canaan, saw that this father, his father was naked and went outside and told his brothers. Then Shem and Japheth took a robe, held it over their shoulders, and backed into the tent to cover their father. 
And as they did this, they looked the other way so they would not see him. You sometimes it's so hard to understand this passage until you understand how biblical authors use the hyperlinks. And the, you know, the Genesis writer was hyperlinking Noah's fall to Adam's and Eve's fall. They actually thought, you know, secondly, you know, Noah, firstly, Noah plants a vineyard. And in a vineyard, something grows. And what grows in a vineyard? It's like a garden, Garden of Eden. There's, there's, secondly, just like Adam and Eve, Noah consumed the fruit of that vineyard. And too much. He became drunk. Something happened. And exactly, we're not very sure. But in the ancient context, it means a lot, which we do not have time to discuss here. But here's what we're trying to say. The Genesis author was saying, Noah is, was just like Adam. You know, he, he's not the promised victor who will crush the serpent's head. Are you appreciating week per week if you're attending? It's all hyperlinked. He is not that promised person or victor who will crush the, servant, the serpent's head. And as Jesus' followers, this is beautiful. We believe that Jesus is like Noah. He was the righteous one. And he was sent by the Father to save mankind. But Jesus was not like Noah. Let me explain. Noah, Noah was the righteous one. He was saved, and the rest of the guilty received judgment. Yes? Jesus is the righteous one. He received the judgment so that the guilty can be saved. Noah was riding a tree, a wooden boat, above the chaotic waters, like the new Eden. Yeah? Noah rode a tree above the chaotic waters, and they were safe. But Jesus was crucified on a tree. That is the fulfillment of our faith that ushers in the new creation reality that we are in. That Jesus offers us new creation, new life, new choices. And that is, I think, Andy Patson, the theologian, says it so beautifully. Read it. The flood was violent, but it wasn't the work of a violent God. Rather, this God took on flesh and died a violent death at the hands of violent men. A death that became the very means He would use to save His enemies. May I ask you to stand? You learned something today. We appreciate our Bible more, the context. And we're just starting. 
It's beautiful that we get to discuss this in the feast. It's a dream, actually, that we get to understand some more, and, and we will grow together in our faith. Amen? Amen? But as we end, I want you to look at, you know, the heart of God in this story. And as we worship, I want you to look at the heart of God. He is all-powerful, immovable, immutable. He created everything. And in the story of the incarnation of Jesus, He relates to us and He allows Himself to be moved. He willingly enters into our world. He is not a God high above the heavens, just waiting for you to scramble, to, to, to suffer, to, to drown in your sin and shame and guilt. No. Our God offers you a new life. And he got crucified on a tree so that we may live. And how are we appreciating that life? How are we living that life now? Are we honoring God? I know some of us, as we worship, we have a very hard time picturing that God weeps for us. When we are so far away from Him, God weeps for us. Maybe because our parents or people in authority, we always thought of punishment, we always thought of shouting, berating, condemning. But as we worship now, remember that your God is different. He weeps with us when we make stupid choices. He gets hurt too. He weeps with you when there is destruction happening in your life or you have caused destruction to others too. When we take matters into our own hands and we suffer because of those decisions he weeps with us i just realized how far we are from the lord but today God weeps for you and he's welcoming you back home welcome home God loves you still so return come back to him with all our hearts so don't don't let fear 
or anything keep you apart from Him. And that is the new creation reality that we are in. Return to Him. And God weeps for you. And you know what that means? He is with you. In your suffering, in your pain, in your hurting. But also God is with you when in your rejoicing, in your striving, in your hoping. So come now. Come and relate to your God. If, if you will it, go to a posture of worship. This is that time to connect with your God. Let's worship Him. Give it all that we've got. And this is a beautiful invitation. Let's come. In the name of the Father, of the Son, of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Give your heart to God. Trust in Him. Cooperate with His grace. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Subscribe to Feast Radio and open yourself to God's grace. For more podcasts like these, visit feast.ph radio.